Hi everyone, Luke here from The Broken Meeple. Just a quick note about my ongoing Patreon campaign. I hate to ask for money, but if any of you out there wish to support this channel in that way, then please visit the page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple. It's listeners and viewers like you that make this channel what it is today, and even as little as $1 a month goes a long way to going towards the hosting fees and to provide new equipment that allows me to improve the quality of this podcast and the YouTube channel. I want to let you guys in on future top 10 lists as well as let you submit questions and stories for future inclusion on videos and podcasts. So check out the page if you like, but if not, I hope you enjoy the show. So take care. See you soon. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. Home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com The Broken Meeple Season 2 Episode 20 Essen 2017 It's the Essen 2017 special, and even though unfortunately I can't make this year's convention, I'm still interested in the games that are coming out, and I'm sure some of you are as well. So I'm still going to give my top 10 anticipated Essen releases for 2017. Hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to another Broken Meeple episode. Yes, unfortunately I can't make Essen this year. I tried to book it, but I was too late with the bookings. I waited until like Christmas time before I even looked at it, which was idiotic of me. And so everything was ridiculously expensive. I then managed to get a secondary method of getting there by going with uh, Grubbling Games, the publisher. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances at their end, not their fault, you know, can, you couldn't really see it coming they've had to pull out as well, which means that I lost my other way of getting there. Now, some people were very kind to suggest, you know, getting lifts and sharing and stuff like that, but when I travel, I tend to prefer to travel alone unless I really know the people. It's just a thing with me. Plus, you know, I need my beauty sleep, and if I have to share a room with someone and I know they snore, I just can't take it. And last time I went to Essen with someone who did that, I just nearly went insane because I just had no sleep for the whole week. So what I decided to do was to say, you know what, Essen 2017 can wait. And part of that was actually looking at the games for this list. I've been saying that maybe the board game market is starting to dry up a little bit in terms of like really quality releases. And that's sort of coming into play here, because when I looked through the list of games coming out to Essen, I wasn't that bowled over to be honest. I mean, I've managed to come up with a top 10, but... I might have struggled to have come up with a top 20 that I was like really looking forward to, unless you were going to include expansions in that. There's a fair amount of expansions coming out, but other than that, major release titles? There wasn't a huge amount, and a few of them are ones that some people in the world have already seen because of Kickstarter, or perhaps it was released at Gen Con briefly. So, you know, bear in mind this is from a UK perspective. So yeah, I wasn't really bowled over by it, so I just took the plunge and said, you know what, 2017 Essen, I can wait. You know, I'm going to miss not seeing the people there, seeing you guys and that, but I will be there next year. 
I have booked a hotel for 2018 already. It's one that is central, so I can get to anybody else's hotel if you want to meet up for games in the evening. I will be at the convention all week. I don't have to help anyone out on a stand, although I might not... Well, I'm, I'm not opposed to helping someone out on the stand. It's just it depends how long they need me for. But that would mean I'd be able to help out on the Dice Tower stand for quite a lot of the conventions. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just stick to that. But, yeah, next year I'm going to be there. All I've got to do is sort out a flight which is nice and easy, I'll be there, 2018, Essen. But unfortunately, you're just going to have to do it without me for now. So what else has been on my mind lately? Well, I don't know. In my life, things are generally back on track. You know, I've pretty much got over the whole Amsterdam issue. Uh, still single, though, still trying to make do with that. But uh, work's going well. Um, I've, you know, waiting impatiently for a gym to open next to my workplace where... This whole last month, I've really not been at the gym or done a lot of exercise. I cycle to work, but that's about it. But I can just look at myself right now and just think, Egh. you know, I'm chubby as anything. Well, that's going to change once it's November, because when the new uh, Village Hotel gym opens next to my workplace, I can go to the gym four, maybe five times a week, depending on my uh, resilience and endurance, I suppose. But yeah, I'll be able to just go in the morning, before work, after work, or even at lunchtime. And it'll be great. I'll get my fitness right back on track. Maybe even train for stuff like the uh, Great South Run and that. You know, there's a lot of people who have just been doing that this morning, actually, going around the sea, um, South Sea Seafront, doing the Great South Run. I can't run 10 miles to save my life. Maybe next year. We'll see. If I can get enough training, if I can get my fitness up, you know, I mean, four or five times a week of gym workouts and swimming fitness, that's got to do some good to my body, surely. If only my diet could keep up the same. I do like my food and I do like my wine. Anyway, so, yeah, things in general are right on that front. In terms of games played, meh, most of the same stuff, apart from what you've already seen me review, like some expansions for Potion Explosion, the fifth ingredient, uh, for Star Wars Rebellion. There's going to be a review going up very soon for uh, um, Sheriff of Nottingham and the Merry Men expansion. So there's quite a lot of expansions that's going around. I'm also trying to sort of balance my reviews as such. Doing videos takes a lot of time and I do need to have a life, especially if I'm going to do more fitness. So I might try and stick to about two videos a week intermingled with reviews and maybe the old extra video for something like a top 10. But I do need to keep my life and work balance under control. And for a lot of August and September, it just went completely out of control. So we'll see how that goes. But what it will mean is that what I might do is revert back to doing some written reviews every now and again. Not really podcast reviews. I know some of you love the podcast thing, but podcast reviews, when I tried them, I did trial it for a while, but they didn't prove to be very popular. I didn't get a lot of feedback that said they were being listened to or downloaded. Nobody was really sort of communicating with them. So it didn't sound like they were really all that. So I'll give previews or impressions, shall we say, on the podcast. But for you know actual reviews, I think I'll stick to video and written. And there will be some more written reviews coming out because not only am I trying to balance the video thing, but I'm also doing more reviews for zatugames.co.uk. Uh, I've got a good, un good understanding with them and some of their other contributors, and they do a lot of written reviews. They do top tens, they do articles, they do reviews, all sorts. Well, I'm doing more written reviews for them. So that'll be a nice little balance, and hopefully you'll see some of those coming out soon, I believe. I'm expecting a review for Feast for Odin written review on that site very shortly and also because it's the Halloween season hopefully a top 10 Cthulhu games list so look out for that in the coming weeks I guess 
Obviously, when it comes to uh, guest reviews, I don't have control when something gets published. They do, so you'll just have to see on that. Anyways, um, games played, actual games played, proper games. Well, the main one I can think of, and uh, we'll call this a spoiler alert, but an honourable mention. Liz Bower by Vital Lacerda has not made my top 10 Essen Anticipated Games list, but it is an honourable mention. It just got knocked off the 10 spot to number 11. But the reason I want to talk about it is because I have finally played it. Most people got it by Kickstarter. I didn't kickstart it because pretty much it's just a pre-order service when it comes to Eagle Griffin. So I thought I'd wait. And by fluke, I went to a Guildford Gamers Club and I actually got to see the product. And even join in the four-player game of it. Now that was half a good idea, <laughs> half not. The problem was, was that the people teaching us had only played it once and two of us were new. One of which, you know, fairly sort of min-maxi type person. So, it meant that the game went pretty slow. I mean, this was a long game. We're talking like five hours of game time. You know, not including like a lunch break and like the half hour to an hour it took to teach the game. It was a, yeah, it was a bit of a slappy sort of first try of it, but I'm not letting that put me off. You know, I know that the time length can be cut down significantly. I reckon if I read the rules well enough, I could do a better job of teaching it. But what are my impressions of this boa? Bearing in mind you know that I'm a Vital Lacerda fan. It's okay. Yeah, that's about as much as I can say about it, really, because I enjoyed it. I do like the tense decisions you have to make. I do like the variety with, you know, which cards do I need? Which ones should I play? Should I go to the court or should I just put it in my little uh, portfolio stack? And I did like the fact that it was a good strategic affair with... A fair amount of paths to victory, although a lot of them are just variations of each other and all revolve around these buildings. But here's the thing. There's two things that bug me about this game a lot. One of them is the colour palette that this game uses. Now this is subjective and in the eye of the beholder and some people love it. And to be fair, I like the colours blue and white, particularly together. I wear blue jeans and a white top quite commonly, in fact. But... On a board game where you use this colour scheme along with various like pastel-like colours across the entire board and all the cards, it makes it one major strain on my eyeballs to see what is going on. It is difficult to pick out areas on this board as to whether they are places for cards or actual icons you need to know or just decorative borders around various spaces. It all gels together a little bit too easily. And so I found my eyes straining a lot, trying to make out what was going on on the board. Once I knew what was going on, I could figure out what I was doing next easily. But it's just a little bit all over the place with that colour scheme. And I get it. Yes, it's thematic. One thing about this game is that it is thematic to a T, and we'll get onto that in a minute. But, you know, the, the, I think the idea was that, from what Vital has told me, uh, tiles in, the, in the, those old days for Lisboa, um, for Lisbon, sorry, uh, was... They were coloured like that. I forget what they were called, like Azuljejus or Azuls, something to begin with A, ends and O, I think. And I can't remember. But it was it basically, look it up. You know, if you look up old, you know, 16th century tiles, Lisbon or something, you'll probably find it. And it, I get it. It looks the part. Fine. I'm sure it looks great on buildings. Not so much on a board game, though. So that was a bit off putting. 
you know, I can certainly make out what's going on in the Gallerist and even Kanban a lot easier than this one. The second thing is the theme. Now, this game is thematic to a T, and I give it kudos for that. Everything in this game has been done with historical accuracy like you wouldn't believe, mainly because this is a very sort of like closely knit historical interest of the designer because of where he's from, obviously. Now, okay, that's great. I like the fact that the theme is good to a T, but the problem is, is that again, this is mostly subjective. I'm just not a fan of this theme. You know, what, what does it all boil down to? You build buildings by playing cards. That's about it, really. You know, you, you're generating things like influence and money in that. But the whole crux of this game is basically that you are building up Lisbon again. And so you get the resources to, you know, the money to build these buildings on this grid, you know, rows and columns. And doing so gets you the odd little bonuses, you know, that cool feature I like from the gallerist, that kind of thing. And you're clearing rubble cubes. Cubes? Why do it have to be cubes? And by collecting these rubble cubes, um, you eventually get sets of the colors that allow you to get more cards into your own portfolio because you're basically uh, doing this tableau building in front of you. Not quite sure why that is there theme-wise, but I digress. And the problem is, is that the buildings are all generic. You just literally plunk a building on a particular space. It will generate a type of resource. But other than that, all the buildings look the same. And the decrees, which are basically like end-game objective scoring, are basically all just variations of each other. Just replace row A with row E, column B with column D, and green architect with blue architect. There's not much in the way of like, oh, this is a fun strategy to take. It's just which one of these weird mechanics do you want to choose for your thing? And it just didn't really engross me. I get that it's thematic. Although, I'll say this. It is thematic only if A, the teacher knows everything about the history and is able to integrate it within the teachings perfectly, which, let's face it, is only going to happen if you are Vital Lacerda himself, or you have spent at least probably half an hour reading the blurb in the book that explains all the historical links between what is on that board. Does anyone do that when they buy a board game? Has anybody read one of those things? I can tell you that rarely do I, particularly when it's based on historical fact. I am not a history buff. I'm not even a fan of history as a subject. I gave it up after year eight of school, when you were allowed to choose your, you know, areas within the various groups. So I chose geography without a second thought, and considering I got an A in it, I don't regret it one bit. History just bores me. So this game, which is basically based on a ton of history, means that I've got to read this massive blurb in order to understand why everything's in this game. And then you have to kind of explain it to everybody you're teaching it to, because if you don't teach it, then it just feels like a dry mechanical Euro game. You need that information about the theme to understand why it's relevant. And for me, it's just not that interesting. So I get it. A lot of this is subjective. And to be fair... It got knocked off the 10 spot. It's still something I want to play more. I intend to get a copy of this on release, and I intend to review it, you know, subject money-wise. So I'm looking forward to playing this more in a better setting, with the rules more closely knit. But it has so far been slightly disappointing compared to how I look forward to all his other games, and that is why it has been knocked off this top 10. We'll see in the future whether I get a better look at it, you know, because this probably wasn't the best first impressions to get, but 
Yeah, so far, Vinyos, Gallerist, Kanban, I like them more. I'm probably looking more forward to the CO2 reprint to try that out than I am this game. It's, you know, a lot of it is subjective and I get it. If people want to say they love it, fine. If you want to say it's the best design he's ever done, fine. I will not agree with that. I personally think that Gallerist is his best design and Kanban is my favourite to play in this whole lot. But... He's a good designer, he makes good games. I'm not going to hold a problem if somebody likes Lisbon. You know, <laughs> sorry, Lisboa. You know, certainly not compared to, say, like, something like Concordia, Great Western Trail, and Terraforming Mars, which ones I don't like. At least I can say that Lisbon is a good game. It's just not for me. You know, so it's, it's a cool little thing like that. So we'll find out in the future whether it prompts up my list a bit more. But for now, my first impressions are meh for Lisboa. You know, we'll try it again soon. We'll see if things improve. Now, very quickly before I get onto this list, I am just going to make a very quick statement here, okay? I am seeing all over the internet and all over YouTube videos that women in board games are getting a hard time here particularly people like Suzanne and Mandy off the Dice Tower. Now, this is not in defense of those two in particular, right? I am looking at, like, all women in board gaming. I want board gaming to be a diverse hobby. I want it to include everybody. Off the bid, I wish more girls were at my board gaming club. We have a fair few, I'll admit. We are mostly male at my Portsmouth group, but we do have a fair amount of women who turn up there as well, and I gladly welcome them to the club. In fact, the lady who co-runs the club with me is a lovely lady, love of the bits. She's great, really intelligent, is able to master complex games easily, and she's great to have around and in your game. So I want more women to get involved in this hobby. Unfortunately, there is a small minority out there who are just living in the dark ages, it seems. I am seeing insults going around Twitter. I am seeing flags going up on videos for no other reason that the person is just a female person. And it's just wrong. Absolutely wrong. Now, if you have a problem with someone's opinion of a review... That's fine. We all disagree on a lot of things, and at the end of the day, as I keep saying, it's only a game. But, if you have problems with somebody being involved with board gaming, whether it's playing board games, reviewing board games, selling board games, whatever, if you have a problem with them purely because of their gender, then I don't want you in this board gaming hobby. That's it. That is a fact. Okay? I will stick equal opportunities for anybody getting involved in the board gaming hobby. I will leap up to the tallest mountaintop and yell it from there if necessary to get equal opportunities in board gaming. So if you are so close-minded that for some reason, just because somebody is female, that you have a problem with them being involved in board gaming, then get out of this hobby because you are not wanted here. I know that sounds like a very blunt statement, but I am sorry. I will not accept any form of sexism, racism, genderism, sexual preferencesism, whatever. You know, I don't know the isms, but, you know, you know what I mean. I will treat everybody in the board gaming industry with equal 
you know, equally to how I would treat anybody else. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you're like, I will treat you in the same way. And that's because I want this hobby to be diverse and interesting. And I love the fact that when I go to these different board gaming groups, I see a lot of people from different backgrounds. I see all ages, I see all genders, I see all everything, and it's great. So do not be one of these minority people who are basically trying to ruin the hobby for, you know, ladies everywhere or other people everywhere because, frankly, we don't want you in this hobby and I can probably bet a lot of money that I'm not the only listener here on this podcast who, you know, the only person on this podcast who agrees with me, okay? Because... We want everybody in this board gaming industry to love it, and we want you to stay. I want more women to join the industry, frankly, because I would I would love to see my board gaming group be 50-50 split. You know, I'm not saying it ever will, I'm not saying it has to, but that day when I go to a board gaming group and I notice that the uh, split of genders is actually 50-50, you know, equal men and equal women, I think that'll be a huge step. Because pretty much every single group I go to is usually more dominated by males. I know that this board gaming industry is more male dominated than it is. But, oh, I would love to see that even split. I would just think it would be a huge leap. Anyway, I digress. I don't want to rabbit on about this sort of thing too much. You know, there's enough of it on the internet. And I feel sorry for people like Mandy and Suzanne from the Dice Tower who have to pull up with all sorts of nastiness from there. But I have seen other people. I've seen Jay Howard have to put up with this. I've seen... You know, some other girl mates of mine, you know, who run their own blogs put up with this and it's just not on. Not on at all. So stop it now. Okay, let's get on to the top 10 Essen releases. I'm going to try not to hold you guys up too much with this. I'll try to speed up a little bit because I don't want the podcast to go on too long. But these are 10 games that I am looking forward to from Essen 2017. Now, some caveats. None of these are just demos. Because to be fair, I'm not going to Essen this year. So I have no interest in something that's only there as a demo. I'm more interested in releases. I am also not including expansions on this list. There are a lot of expansions I'm looking forward to, but frankly, there's only so much I need to say about the expansion other than it's for a game I like, therefore I want it. What difference does it make? And I think that's pretty much the only main... Oh yes, and also I will state that if it has been released already in the UK, properly in the UK, and I mean like retail release, like I could literally go online or to my local gaming store and grab it right now, I'm not including it on this list. Because I can get it now, it's already been released, or I've already played it. If it has only been available to people via Kickstarter, or by going to a convention like Gen Con, then that's fair game. Because there are some on this list that I know some of you have played. I know some of you have already reviewed this one, if you're one of the contributors out there. I don't subscribe to every Kickstarter on the planet. You know, I get a lot. But usually they're ones that I know I'm going to like anyway, like, you know, expansions to the game I like or published works from, you know, the publishers that I really like. So it's, you know, I only subscribe to so much. So if it has been released by Kickstarter, it's still fair game because I might not necessarily have played it yet. And therefore, I'll still be looking forward to try it. 
although my rankings for said game might be influenced by what I have read up on the subject and what reviews I have listened to, and I'll explain that as I go through. So my number 10, we're going to get straight into the Euro category with one of my favorite designers. And I say favorite, yes, okay, he doesn't always hit the mark, and sometimes I think he can improve on certain areas, but generally, some of his Euros that I like, I really like. And that is Uwe Rosenberg. He doesn't always hit it off the mark for me, but the games where he does hit it off the mark, I really like. Caverner, high in my top 100. Fields of Isle, high in my top 100. Agricola, don't like the sort of tightness and feed your people mechanic, but I still respect it. Feast for Odin, in my top 100, although we'll see how much longer for. The only major one that I wasn't a fan of was Glass Road, because I didn't like that punishing, you know, card mechanic where if you play something and someone else plays a copy of it, you kind of get hosed or limited, and most of the time you can't really tell what's going to be played, so it's a bit random. Not a fan of that one. But this is Nussfjord, I think. Nussfjord. I'm not even sure if I've pronounced that even remotely correctly. But basically, it's a fishing village in Norway. Now, I've been on a Norwegian cruise around the fjords. I've not seen this place, because I don't think you're allowed to anymore. But cruise ships used to go by it. And if it's anything as pretty as the rest of Nord Norway during the summer, when you go around the fjords, then I just want to look at this game for the pretty pictures, because it <laughs> Norway is beautiful where you go to certain places in it. But aside from aesthetics, I'm also interested in the fact that this is a game that advertises itself to be maximum about 100 minutes. So we're talking less than two hours. So we're talking Glass Road territory, and that would put me off at first, just because of Glass Road, but this doesn't operate like Glass Road. You are building up this harbour and fishing village. You're, you know, cutting down forests and sorting down trees and investing money. It sounds like a cool Euro game, and one that I'm willing to check out. I'm a little bit sceptical as to this 100-minute timer, because, hmm, a 4-5 player Euro game by Uri Rosenberg in that kind of time doesn't happen very often, and the only time it did was with a game I didn't like. So this is why it's a bit lower on the list. But I reckon aesthetically it will look very pleasing. I think that if the mechanics can gel well and not be too punishing, I think I will like this game quite a bit. Maybe not want to play it with five players, but I will certainly play it with a few, and I hear it's also got a solo mode as well. So, yeah. I'm willing to give Nussfjord a try. I reckon it should be a pretty solid hit. Let's hope. But number nine is a sequel to a cool game called The Palace of Mad King Ludwig. The original was called The Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and this was where each of you was building up a castle and eventually like around a moat with the uh, expansion to it, and you had this auction mechanic, a bidding mechanic, where you priced up the various rooms that people could build. Everybody had this cool-looking castle, and it was quite a good bit of fun. The Palace of Mad King Ludwig is similar, except all of you, I believe, are contributing to this one giant palace, which has a timer mechanic in that when it's surrounded by the moat, eventually the game will end. Now, it, apparently it doesn't use the same bidding mechanic as the castles did, which is good, because otherwise it would just be the same game. But it sounds like it's another one of those cool games where you get to build something and let it progress in front of you. You can have this humorous, like, you know, collection of rooms in places, you know, and you'll get to see this big giant palace unfold on the, on the table with everyone contributing to it. Looks cool, aesthetically very pleasing. 
I'm interested to see whether this will be as good, if not better, than the original Castles of Mad King Ludwig. However, I do remain cheerfully sceptical in that because, well, these sort of uh, spin-offs don't always tend to sh- outshine their original counterparts from uh, previous history. But, like I say, if it's as good as Castles, I reckon I'm going to enjoy this one quite a bit. And I do like those games where you build something up in front of you and you see it progress. And I mean build something up meaningful. Not just a plateau, not just a tableau of cards, not just random tiles on the barren planet. You know, I'm talking like actually build something proper in front of you. So, a tile laying game for Palace of Mad King Ludwig by number nine. My number eight has been reviewed by the Dice Tower already on Miami Dice, and when I heard this title I thought, what on earth is this? Why would I like a game called Bunny Kingdom? Well, the review was very positive, so I took another look at it. Aesthetically, it looks beautiful. Gotta give it credit for that. I mean, in fact, who's the designer? Sorry, the publisher. Uh, Yellow, I think, have had a play in this. So yeah, anything by Yellow is going to look beautiful. It's just that's normal. But this one sounds like a cool game. You are building cities across the land, and you are basically a clan of bunny rabbits, which is (laughs) quite humorous in itself, and certainly makes it sound more like a kid's game. But you're drafting cards, and you're managing resources in order to do this, and depending where you build and how other players build will affect how many points you'll score for various cities and landscapes. Looks beautiful, and i got to admit, the sound of drafting cards with different abilities and that, and managing and resource management compared with building on a map, again, that sense of progression, I like that in games, this could be pretty solid for me, actually. And it doesn't sound like it takes too long. I mean, four rounds? That's a pretty short time when you think about it. In fact, it even says that the game will only take about 40 to 60 minutes. So a short game that looks beautiful with a funny theme that involves resource management and drafting? I think I want to give this one a look. Again, cheerfully sceptical just because of the name and the theme, but it could be quite a good laugh. So I'm willing to try this one out when I see a copy of it. That is Bunny Kingdom, my number eight. My number seven is the long-awaited game from Ignacy Trevacek. Yes, a lot of you have already had this on Kickstarter, and I have heard mixed opinions on the reviews for first Martians Adventures on the Red Planet. Now, I have played a demo of this game, and I enjoyed my time with it. Yes, it's quite, uh, shall we say, admin bookkeepy-like. It's very science-like. It's not quite as, uh, I mean, it's thematic, but it's not quite that sort of adventure like you had in Robinson Crusoe. But I still enjoyed it, and I like app integration in games, particularly when they dictate story elements that you never know what's coming next. So I'm still eager to get a hold of this game and try it properly. However, it's not higher on the list because of the way the reviews have been structured. Because they talk about decent gameplay, for the most part, and a lot of people are still enjoying it. But I hear that the rulebook is a nightmare, and that is a worry. Because portal games just don't seem to be very good at doing good rulebooks. I can't think of a game released by Portal that had a super solid rulebook. Maybe Imperial Settlers. I'll give them that. Imperial Settlers was pretty easy to learn from the rulebook. But Robinson Crusoe, we know how bad that was from the rulebook. And First Martian sounds like it's going the exact same way. Not like unplayable, but certainly not the easiest to grasp. But I want to try it. 
I'm still eager to see if this can work. Maybe I can like house rule a few things or just take some time with that rule book and maybe find some reference sheets or something in order to make life easier. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to give this one a try properly when I get hold of a copy, which unfortunately was not off Kickstarter or the pre-order, you know, I have to wait till retail release. So we'll see what my thoughts are when First Martians hits the UK properly. My number six, also from Portal, and I'm not sure if this is from Exactly Traffic or not, but uh, this is the Alien Artifacts game, and this is also just been really um, reviewed by the Dice Tower recently. Now, I'm a little skeptical as to this 4x uh, claim for it. I mean, a lot of people are saying it does do it. When I watched the review, I wasn't convinced it feels like a 4x game because it sounds like the extermination part is kind of tacked on, but. The artwork looks pretty cool, it's got that so nice uh, stark look to it. The game sounds like it's lightning fast, which if you've read my review for Ethnos, that's one of the best things about that game. The turns are so lightning quick that the downtime is minimized and you feel like you're constantly engaged. Well apparently that's how this game goes, so fast turns, shortish playing time, I will give it credit. It looks good, and if they can get it to feel like a 4x game, or at least close enough to it, then fantastic. And it doesn't have to meet exactly a 4X game in order for me to like it. It may just be a fun card game in itself, and it sounds like it is. There's a lot of different ways you can play it, there's all the different cards, and you could expand this easily with just more cards. So, I'm eager to give this one a try, but I'm not going to go mad over it like I think some people have done in terms of hype. You know, I think maybe this will be a good game, but maybe just not you know, the best things in sliced bread. But, you know, lightning quick turns, sci-fi theme, I reckon I'll probably enjoy this one quite a bit. You know, mainly just because it will be a nice quick, well, not filler, but, you know, a quickish game. I'll feel engaged throughout. So, we'll see how this goes. You know, two games from Portal already on the list. Are there any more? I don't think so, no. So, yeah, there's your two ones from Portal. My number five was a complete unknown to me until I watched the Dice Tower's top 10 anticipated Essen list. I heard of a game where you were divers going down into the depths of an ocean to retrieve forgotten artifacts in order to rebuild the future of humanity. Okay, interesting theme. And then you are fulfilling contracts in order to, you know, get the best not uh, notoriety between everybody. And you have to manage your oxygen and your resources and that in order to have divers go down to varying levels of depth in order to retrieve the artifacts. So you've got to be efficient and optimize. Okay, sounds interesting. So I looked it up a bit more. It looks beautiful from the, uh, you know, artwork and that. It looks like a component quality is pretty high. It's done by Labellad along with Pearl Games, and I know for a start that, you know, Labellad, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, they're the same people who have uh, the Dixit li uh, license. But they do do some very beautiful looking games. So, Otis is actually looking pretty sweet for me, and that's O-T-Y-S. Just by looking at the game, listening to the theme, looking at the, you know, knowing the publisher behind it, designer is pretty unknown for me, but, you know, I know that I respect this publisher, this could be an interesting game. Doesn't sound like it takes too long to play either, the theme of, you know, having to manage your divers and going underwater to retrieve cool stuff. Sounds like a cool idea as well. 
you know, maybe this is the deep sea adventure that I wanted, not just the weird dodgy Japanese pusher luck, random luck fest game that I have been forced to play every now and again. But nah, I'm looking forward to this one. It's, it's in the middle of the list because this was a complete unknown until I had a further look at it and thought, yeah, actually, I'm keen to give this one a try. Could be a complete dud. I don't know. But it's got my anticipation up high enough that I want to check out Otis when it hits retail release. My number four is going to get re-released by Estevium Games and Asmodee soon. I won't get to see the original Vincent Dutre artwork version, but to be honest, this new version that they're putting out from Asmodee, oh, it looks beautiful. And I enjoy party games. This one sounds like an interesting little party game, and I'm really keen to get this one played and give it a try, and that is When I Dream. I never got to play the original version because I think that was only over in America sort of Gen Con time anyway, so I'm looking forward to a retail release of this. But this is one where somebody puts on a cloth mask and becomes the dreamer and then these really gorgeous artwork cards, kind of Dixit like, are placed out and the rest of the players have to describe the cards with one word each. Some of them are acting as good spirits who want the dreamer to guess it right. You know, they have to guess like the theme or the nature of the card. And the naughty spirits are actually trying to make him get it wrong. So they're deliberately trying to mislead them somehow but not be too obvious about it. And there's even tricksters who keep changing their loyalties as time goes on. That's pretty much the deal. And you'll go through all these different cards that look gorgeous. You'll have different people putting on this really cool cloth mask in order to, uh, you know, try and guess what's going on. Sounds like it could be a laugh. And I've seen some live play of this. And I think it could be quite a funny game to play. But, oh, it just looks so gorgeous. I think you even get, like, a bed with someone sleeping in it or something in the... Uh, Sort of released version, I'm not sure. Maybe that was just something they put on the table to make it look good, but oh yeah, this party game looks like it'll be right up by street and looks drop dead gorgeous. So, this is definitely high on my list of anticipated releases for the remainder of this year. My number three has not seen UK retail release yet, so it still counts, even though many people in America have already seen it, particularly at Gen Con. That is Photosynthesis. I like unique and original themes. I certainly give them a chance because I'm getting tired of seeing the same Vikings and zombies and trading in the Mediterranean, constantly used by people. And then having themes which are like, oh, we haven't had this theme before, but it's completely tacked on and pasted, therefore what was the point? You know, ugh, I hate it when it happens. This one though, Photosynthesis, sounds like it's managed to achieve both. Have a thematic game that is original. Because you are growing trees, and this is like, you know, proper cardboard standy trees. You know, it looks gorgeous. And the idea is, is that you're growing trees in order to, like, you know, get the most points yourself. But what you want to do is cast shadow over other players' trees so that they don't grow as fast. So it's a kind of like a mean uh, sort of push and pull game with everybody else as you're trying to grow your trees whilst trying to hinder other people's, whether indirectly or directly. Sounds like a cool concept. Just the idea that you're growing trees that are all on this board and you can see like a forest blooming in front of you. The fact that you've got to think very tactically about where the sun's going to cast its shadow at any particular time. And it's super original. This theme has not been done before. Will it ever be done again? I have no idea. But 
yeah, I am definitely keen to give this one a try because I'm just hearing nothing but good things about it. It's, I think it's already been reviewed. If not, Dice Tower have certainly given enough praise over it. So I'm really keen to try this one. Photosynthesis, my number three. Come on, come on. Release, release, please, please, please. My number two is one that I kind of wish I kickstarted actually, because if I'd known about this a bit sooner, I probably would have done. Even though the whole sort of 80s uh, tongue-in-cheek artwork style is a little off-putting. But the theme of this one, having you like mess around with DNA in order to create dinosaurs and then operate a theme park based on dinosaurs a la Jurassic Park. Oh yes, Dinosaur Island just for the theme alone pushes this up to number two. Because building a theme park is fun. Building a dinosaur theme park is even more fun. The idea that you can create these dinosaurs and then, you know, create different ones and then build up this theme park, which will have some basic roller coasters in it, but it will also have the dinosaurs you've created. And you have to consider, like, you might decide to build a ton of velociraptors because they're really cool. I love velociraptors. But, of course, you need a ton of security with that because they might escape and start eating all the people that are there. You can have a ton of herbivores, which won't be very exciting, but at least they won't eat everybody that's there. Sounds like this is going to be one funny game to play. I think the theme is just going to sing with people I know. It's going to make people quote Jurassic Park moments, even though, to be fair, two out of the four Jurassic Park film, um, films are awful, and one of them is so-so. So, yeah, unfortunately, the original is still the best. But, yeah, I can see this one going down so well. The artwork is a little off-putting. I'm not sure if that style fits it, but it's colourful, it's bright. I'll take it over something like Fruit Chain Magnet. So, we'll go with it. I'm looking forward to the theme of this. Will it be a good game to support this theme? I don't know. But, it's getting some good praise so far. But I'm just really keen to see if this can work. Please let it work mechanically, because, you know, games need theme. And mechanics to work, you know, having one or the other is not acceptable a lot these days. You know, there are exceptions, of course. But yeah, this one, Dinosaur Island, really looking forward to giving this one a try. My number two. Now, my number one. Now, when I made this list, it was likely to be an Essen release. And it may still be available to some people in Essen release, but it looks like the main retail release won't be till December now. So take this one with a grain of salt if you like. I mean, if you don't think this one counts, then just shift my list up a little bit and put Lisboa back at number 10, and then we'll just have Dinosaur Island as my number one. But this game is made by a publisher that I really like, Stonemaier Games. It involves the legacy aspect, which I love, and from what I have seen from playthroughs and reviews of like the initial bits, looks like great fun. And that, of course, is Charterstone. You can play through it with the legacy aspect of uh, fluid changes to a worker placement game, carry on playing it, but then you just flip the board over, buy the recharge pack, and you can go for it all over again without having to buy the base set again. Sounds great. Sounds exactly what I want. Yes, the story doesn't sound like it's going to be like, oh my god, blow your mind type thing. You know, that's what Pandemic Legacy Season 2 will be for. And notice, I didn't put that on my list because that has just been released on UK retail this week. I intend to get a copy of it, hopefully, to review. Although, it's hard to tell whether I'll be able to review this one well. Because, unfortunately, the group that I will likely be playing this with can't meet up very often. 
So I might not be able to get a review out at time when it would suit many. So maybe what I'll do is, you know, after the first couple of games, I'll give a first impressions of the game and then I'll let people go on that. Because to be honest, if you're if you're going to buy season two, you've probably already played season one. So you're kind of already expecting it to be good. Anyway, I digress. Charterstone. Yes, Stonemaier games, they make everything look beautiful, the artwork on this looks sublime, I love the idea that I could play this twice through with just a small little expense for the recharge pack, I like the fact that the story and changes don't sound linear, so like, you know, some of them may actually not happen, so you still won't be able to expect very much, and, you know, a nice light Euro game with lightning fast turns, again, sounds pretty cool. Like I said, take it with a pinch of salt if you think the timing doesn't suit this list, but... You know, as I made this list, I was only aware that Charterstone was only going to be an Essen release. And I think for some people, you will still be able to get it at Essen. I just think that the rest of us will have to wait till December. So, uh, you know, good luck to you that are there. So, that's my top 10 Essen games that I'm anticipating. Granted, I really am not that blown away by the SM releases in general. I mean, uh, a couple of other ones I considered, uh, Coaster Park, you know, where you're building a roller coaster and you've got to have this little marble go down at the end. Sounds like it will be too much of a gimmick, but I'm willing to try it because the theme's cool. Azul, this uh, abstract tile laying game, looks interesting. I like abstract games, I'm willing to give it a shot. And Custom Heroes, where it takes that card crafting system I like from Mystic Veil and puts it into a sort of trick-taking game. The fact that it's a trick-taking game is kind of what slightly puts me off it, really, because I'm not sure I want it to be a trick-taking game, but I like the card crafting system. So we'll see on that. Of course, there's many more expansions I'm looking forward to, though. We've got Seven Wonders Anniversary packs, which are going to be great. Uh, not Alone is coming in with an expansion. That would be cool. It would be nice to get that off the shelf again. There's more unlock expansions, so, you know, it'll be cool to play more of that scene. The same with the exit games. There's going to be the community expansion for Pursuit of Happiness. Really looking forward to that one. So, yeah, there's a lot of expansions I'm looking forward to, but I just didn't find that many actual games, particularly ones that hadn't been seen to the public eye already, you know, at Gen Con and that. So, yeah, 2017 really hasn't been that much of a blow-away year for me. Yeah, there are some cool games that I've had in the top 100 from this year. You know, Yamatai and Ethnos and uh, Baron Park. So, yeah, there were some good stuff. You know, it's not like the year has been completely dead. But, yeah, I just haven't really been blown away as much. Maybe I'm just getting a little bit desensitized because, obviously, from reviewing games, I've played so many games that you kind of need something to break through the mold in order to impress you a lot. Maybe there's that. I don't know. But, still... Essen 2017, I hope you guys have a great time there. I'm sorry I can't be there. I'm going to be hating the fact that I'm not there. But I will still be at Uncon in Ramsgate on Saturday the 28th with my buddy from uh, Two Can Play That Game, Michael May. So I look forward to going to that convention and that will at least make up for my Saturday. Sunday, I also hope to be still in the Kent area and I might drop down to Folkestone in order to give the Chaos Cards shop a bit of a look-see. So if you want to get in touch with me and you live in that area, then you can come down to Chaos Cards on the Sunday and hopefully you'll catch me there. Failing that, come to the convention on Saturday and you can catch me there as well. But if you're miles overseas in Essen, then I hope you have a great time and I will see you in Essen 2018. That I promise you now. 
So, that's it for me for this podcast. I'm going to get away and have a drink of water because I'm kind of needing it right now. And maybe I should go to the gym actually today. It's just <laughs> looking at myself again. Ugh, don't like it. Anyway, that's enough. I'll see you on the next podcast episode after you guys have already enjoyed Essen. So expect the next one sometime in early to mid-November. Take care. Enjoy your times. Safe trip. Hope you enjoy the convention. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from The Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. Occasional support for The Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like On Board Games or the Board Game Point of View podcast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.